Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. It's good to have you this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, and we're going to be going through verses 8 through 14. And as you're turning there, let me just uh, give you a happy Thanksgiving weekend. I hope you've been having a good time with your family and uh, friends, if, if God has allowed that for you to have that this weekend. And um, now that we have entered into the, officially entered into the holiday season, uh, I need to let you know that we're going to be taking a break from our teaching series in the book of Acts until the the new year. And so for the next few weeks, we are going to actually be partnering with three different churches. And this week, I'm going to be preaching uh, from the book of Luke, like I said, and we're starting a new teaching series called, it's the slide up there, The Christmas in the City. We're going to be partnering with the Grove Church next week, Lance Michaels. He is the pastor from the, the Grove. They're going to be here preaching. He's going to be here preaching. And the following week, Fred Baker from Fellowship Asheville will be joining us to bring us a message. And then on the week of the 20th, we're going to be partnering again with Westwood Baptist over in their facility. We're going to be having a joint service like we've done for the past three years. So I'm really excited about the holiday season that has, that has come upon us and um, really excited about getting to partner with other churches that are within the city. And when it comes to the Christmas season, I don't know about you guys, but my family and I love the Christmas season for lots of different reasons. For the food, uh, to be with friends, to be with family, we love Christmas music, and we love Christmas movies. And there's uh, there's this TV special that I grew up with that's called A Charlie Brown Christmas. It, it was actually done back in 1965. And in this 30-minute classic, we learn that as Christmas is approaching, Charlie Brown just isn't feeling it. Um, he loves, he'll, he'll say that he loves the, the presents, he loves sending Christmas cards, he loves decorating the tree, but for some reason, this Christmas, he's just not feeling it. He's not happy. He, he actually says to Linus, while standing at the wall, he says, I'm depressed. And so Charlie Brown spends the rest of the, the, uh, the special trying to find out what Christmas is about. And he's really disillusioned with all the materialism and all the commercialism. And he tries to busy himself by becoming the director of the Christmas play. And then when that fails to bring him happiness, he turns to purchasing a shiny aluminum Christmas tree. And he says, you know, that is going to change my mood. That's going to bring the mood of Christmas. And as most of you know, he goes with Linus to the tree lot, and he goes through all these beautiful trees, and then he finally finds the tree. Amongst all the colorful and artificial flashy Christmas trees, he finds a tree that is small, it's ordinary, but it's real. And that's the one he chooses only to be ridiculed by the rest of the gang when he brings it back 
because it's not amazing enough. It's not exciting enough. And they all laugh him, laugh at him. Even his own dog, Snoopy, laughs at him. And that's when he says the famous words, everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. And then he yells into the heavens, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? And that's when Linus removes his thumb from his mouth. And he says, surely, sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. And then he turns, and while dragging his blanket, he, make, he goes to center stage, and he says, lights, please. And he begins reciting from memory the passage which happens to be the exact passage that we're going to be in this morning. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. So if in honor of the word of God, would you stand with me as I read this? And I'm going to actually be reading it from the King James Version. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, and this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there is with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Well, for those of us who were raised in the Christian tradition, the birth of Jesus and the account of the shepherd and the angels can become so familiar to us that we can become callous to what we just read. We can actually lose the amazement that was just described in this passage, and it no longer stirs us down at the heart level. But I want us to remember something this morning, and that is what we just read is an historical event. This, this really happened, and, and if we truly get what we just read, our lives are going to be transformed. And so I've been praying that this week that the Holy Spirit would take this message that we have heard over and over and bring that life back to it that we had when we first believed. And before we dig into the passage, we're going to have to back up a little bit and get some context. And earlier in chapter 2, we see the fulfillment of God's promise that he made back in chapter 1 of Luke chapter 1. Do you guys remember when the angel Gabriel went to Mary? He startles her, and he says, you know, you're a virgin, but you are going to conceive in your womb and bear the, the, promised, the promised Messiah, and you're going to call his name Jesus. But, you know, this promise that is being fulfilled in chapter 2 was actually promised 4,000 years before this, way, 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 way back in the Garden of Eden, when God told the serpent that the seed or the offspring of Eve would one day come and, I love this, crush his head, that uh, the Messiah would come and crush his head, but that the serpent, Satan, 
would bruise the Messiah's heel. In other words, the second Adam would die as he was giving his life to save his people. And today in chapter 2, we're seeing that God is fulfilling this promise. And as we've said a hundred times, when God makes a promise, when he says something, he cannot lie. He always keeps his word. But one thing we have learned in life is that in God-like fashion, he doesn't do it the way that we would, does he? It reminds us of Isaiah 55 when God says, you know what, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. I don't think like you do, and you don't act like I do. And, and if you remember Joseph and Mary, and Mary, think about this, in chapter 2, she is super pregnant, and they have to go up to Galilee, to Bethlehem, to be registered. And, ch- and verse 6 of chapter 2 says this, And while they were there, the time came. I love that. While they were there, the time came. The fulfillment of God's promise, the time to fulfill this promise came for her to give birth. And verse 7 says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths. Now, swaddling cloths are long strips of cloth that you uh, wrap a baby in. Babies, if you've ever had a baby, you know that they like to be wrapped snugly. Uh, once they come out of the womb. And so Mary does the best she can with what she has. And it says that they laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And we've got to be careful here that when we read this, we don't romanticize this. Um, there's, I want you to notice here that there's no mention of a doctor or a midwife here. What does that mean? It means that Joseph, listen to me dads, listen to me husbands, Joseph probably had to deliver the baby. Uh, That right there would be a terrifying thing to have to do. Uh, Then they took the baby and they laid it, laid him in an unsanitized animal trough um, where animals eat. And then it talks about that there was no room in the inn. And traditionally, we've been taught that Jesus was born in a stable. Some would say that it, that it was a cave. Others would actually say it, was, uh, it could have been that there was a house. And in, a, in, in, in houses, the inn was where guests would stay. And, and so there was no room in the inn. So they had to stay in a section that was off of the house where animals stayed. And people argue about that and... We're not going to do that this morning because that's not really what we need to know about this passage. Nobody really knows which three of these it was. But what we do know is that God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, um, we say that so much that that even cannot mean something. The God who created everything out of nothing, we know that he could have easily provided a pristine, pure, and prestigious birthing facility with a golden crib surrounded by midwives. But he didn't. He, he could have, but he didn't. And, you know, I was thinking about this, that if I did this when we were having our kids, um, I wouldn't be married today. I really wouldn't. I mean, Kelly and I, most of you know, have been blessed with six biological children. Three were born in hospitals. Two were born at home. 
Yeah, I'm one of those guys. And one was born in a birthing center. Our last one was born in a birthing center. And I think about the, that, that if at nine months, when Kelly was really pregnant, I decided we're going to take a, a, a trip on a donkey. And we know it was a donkey, don't we? Because all the postcards show Mary riding on a donkey. So we know that's true. But riding on a donkey 80 to 90 miles, like to Hickory, okay? And then when we get there, I go, take her into a back alley. And I deliver the baby, right? And then I take our, one of our, Joshua, and I lay him in a dog bowl, okay? That, that's what we would can uh, kind of understand, I guarantee you, I don't care, you know, how loving my wife is, how much she supports me, she would not be saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. She would be saying woe unto you, right? Um, I would be in jail because this would be considered inhumane. But, you know, isn't this kind of similar to what God did, who had the power to do anything? He chose to bring his son into the world in, in the lowest possible way. And I think that one of the confusing things is that um, with this passage is that Joseph and Mary were actually obeying God and seeking to be obedient. Instead of things getting better, they got worse. And maybe you've been in a time where you've been investing your time. You've been investing your resources and pouring your life out into someone, hoping that they would grow in Christ, only to find out that they're not being real with you, uh, or that they were using you, or worse, they end up turning on you and blaming you for the consequences of their poor choices. Or maybe you laid your life down and you stood in the truth, but instead of being honored and being congratulated, you were misunderstood, you were ridiculed, and it cost you your reputation. And the point I'm trying to make here is that that's often how it is when we're following God. Things don't always work out the way we think they should. They don't always make sense. And, you know, if you find yourself in a situation where you're following God, you're being obedient, but you're sinking in quicksand, I want to remind you, and we know this, but I'm going to remind you, God has not forsaken you in that, that moment because he has promised us. And when God makes a promise, he cannot lie. He will do what he says. He promised that he will never leave us or forsake us, and he promises that he is always at work in our circumstances, even when it feels like he's not. And this is where Joseph probably was thinking, God is going to send some relief. And God does surprise him in verse 8 when he says, and they were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, of all the people in the world that God could have announced the fulfillment of this 4,000-year-old promise, again, God doesn't do it the way that I would have. He doesn't recruit prominent politicians or businessmen or actors or professional athletes to promote this message. Instead, he enlists shepherds, who culturally speaking were nobodies. They were literally at the bottom of the totem pole of society. And I have a question. If you were, think of, I want you to think about this. If you came up with the cure for the coronavirus, 
Who would you tell if you had the cure? Would you go to McDonald's and go to the back where 16-year-olds are flipping burgers and tell them? Or would you go to Walmart and, you know, when you're coming in, the retired guy that's welcoming you, would you go and tell him that you've got the cure to the coronavirus? I say this because most of the shepherds back in the day were either young boys or they were older men. These were not people that were wealthy. They were not educated. They were not influential. Like Charlie Brown's Christmas tree, they were ordinary, but they were real. And this is what I love about this. They were real and ordinary like most of us this morning. And that's who God chooses to use and often reveals himself to. Ordinary, real people. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29 says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. I love that. (laughs) I love that. God chooses that which is weak and despised to reveal himself to and to glorify himself through, through. And I love this because sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I can read the scriptures and be discouraged and intimidated because I don't feel like I'm doing big and exciting things that I see happening in the scriptures. And, you know, we can miss that. Sometimes we can miss that the Bible is actually a highlight reel of God's supernatural interaction amongst humanity. And we can, if, if, we, if we don't see this, we can often think that we're missing something because we're not seeing angels walking around every day. And another thing that we can forget is that we're connected to a, a bigger story. I have the, the tendency or the temptation to think that, you know, when it comes to the story, I'm the main character. Do you, does anyone else have that problem? that I'm the main character and everyone else and every, don't point to your spouse, and everyone else and everything else around me has been provided by God to support me, making sure that I reach my destiny. And, and there's a lie that uh, says that if you're not doing something in your life that's thrilling and that's exhilarating, if you're not doing the very thing that you love, if you're not working in that dream job, if your marriage is not romantic every single moment like that couple that's in the notebook, if, if you're not being a change agent and affecting the masses, did you know that most of us, when it comes to affecting the masses, we'll only really influence one or two people, if that, in our lives? That's how God's designed it. But we can think that if we're not, you know, doing something really big and exciting, that we're missing it. And 
if you're missing it, you got to somehow find it. And this is actually an age-old dilemma because Proverbs 17, verse 24, this was written probably 2,700 years ago, says, The discerning sets his face toward wisdom, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. In other words, those who are wise, those who have discernment, are faithful to do what's right in front of them, what God has given them to do right in front of them. Finding purpose and satisfaction, not primarily in what they're doing, but finding satisfaction in God. Now, that's a wise person. And according to this passage, a fool thinks that their destiny is always somewhere out there. And instead of being fully invested where God has them, they hold back, telling themselves that they're gonna, I'm going to fully engage once God shows me what I'm really supposed to be doing. And so that, if, if that's you, if, if you struggle with that, and I struggle with that at times, um, that kind of person is never fully committed to anything. And they end up not building anything of real value. And, and please don't misunderstand uh, what I'm saying here. There are definitely moments in the Christian life where our walk is exciting and our walk does have adventure in it. But for the most part, our days are filled with real and ordinary moments because that is how God has designed it to be. Um, I think he's done that on purpose because he wants us to see that life is not found in our circumstances. Purpose is not found in our circumstances. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God wants us to see that he is the life. It's not our, in our families. It's not our jobs. It's not our churches. It's not even in our ministries. Now, these are all gifts. These are all talents that God has given us to enjoy, and, but they are to be the, the means through which his life is expressed. And so our meaning of life and purpose are found not in our circumstances or achievements, but rather in Jesus himself and what he has accomplished. And it appears that, you know, the shepherds were faithfully doing a thankless and mundane job, working in solitude, away from the crowds, away from the praise of man. And that's when God decides to show up in one of the most glorious encounters recorded in Scripture. Let's look at verse 9 in our text. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now notice it's not the angel's glory. It's the glory of the Lord. And then it says, and they, speaking of the shepherds, were filled with great fear. Now, it's interesting to me that three times in the first two chapters of Luke, an angel appears. He appears to Zechariah. He appears to Mary and now the shepherds. And every single time that an angel appears, the angel always has to say, fear not. Every single time, do not be afraid. It seems like whenever sinful man comes into the presence of the of God's glory. The initial reaction is not praise and thanksgiving and worship, but rather great fear and terror. Now, have you ever been terrified? 
I want you to think about it. Have you ever been terrified? I'm not talking about startled like someone's uh, hiding around the corner and they jump out and scare you. I'm talking about being terrified. I remember years ago, I was uh, camping by myself foolishly in Yellowstone National Park. It's called the Back Country. You're not supposed to do this, but I was miles and miles away. And when you go out into the Back Country, you always have to watch this video about bears and how it's dangerous. They can attack you. They can maul you. They can just make you not exist anymore. And it, they really, it's really scary uh, to watch these videos. And one day I was uh, at my campsite and all of a sudden this big black bear starts walking toward me in broad daylight on the pathway. And you know, you don't, this isn't like here in Asheville where you see people taking pictures of these bears on put, posting them to Facebook. People like that are in cars or they're on their, their porch or whatever. They're not near the bear. I was out where no one, if, if this bear attacked me, no one would ever know about it. Okay, so it's amazing to me what happened in me. This, and I didn't even try to do this. Something welled up in me from, from nowhere, a thing called horror and terror. And I began to do things involuntarily. I began picking up rocks and sticks and throwing at the bear and yelling at it. And, and just, I wasn't even in control. It was something in me because I was horrified. I don't even know what I was saying. Uh, I can't, couldn't even interpret what I was saying. But I was terrified of this bear. But you know, the thing is, this was the creation that I was, that I was afraid of. How much more the creator? Um, in Revelation 1, verses 17 through 18, the apostle John Y'all remember John? He was one of the disciples of Jesus, his top three. He said he's the disciple whom Jesus loved. He, on, the, on his last night, when they were having the Lord's Supper, he leans back on Jesus. That's how tight, that's how close they were. Listen to what he says in, Roman, uh, in Revelation 17. In Revelation 1, verse 17. When I saw him, speaking of Jesus, when I saw Jesus, I fell at his feet as though dead. When John, one of Jesus' top disciples, saw him in his glorified body, when he saw him, he fell to the ground like he was dead. But Jesus laid his right hand on me saying, here it is, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one, I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. And then later in Revelation chapter 6, when God's judgment is coming upon the earth, upon those who refuse, those who will not accept his gracious offer of salvation through Jesus, we read this. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? You know, these passages teach us that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how tough you are or how rich and powerful you are in this world, in this life. 
when we come into the presence of the resurrected King of glory, knees buckle, hearts melt like butter, and proud mouths are silenced. And that's because in the presence of the Lord, we realize who we are and we realize who he is and say, woe is me. I am undone for I'm a man of unclean lips living amongst a people of unclean lips. And you know, that's why I love the passage we're in this morning. Because in verse 10, we have something to rejoice about. And the angel said unto them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Yes, we are sinful. Yes, it is a fearful thing to come into the presence of a holy God. But God, knowing this, did for us what we could not do for ourselves by sending his son, Jesus. And notice that Jesus is given three titles, Savior, Christ, and Lord. He's a Savior. A Savior from what? Matthew one twenty one talks about when Joseph was having a dream about the baby to come that the angel said to him that Jesus will save his people from their sins. Jesus came to save his people from their sins by being punished in our place so that we wouldn't have to. Second title is Christ or Messiah. That means God's chosen one. An anointed one. Yes, he is our brother, but he is anointed. He is above us. He is the king. He is Christ. And then Lord. This is a title that is used for God, for the one who exercises supernatural authority over creation. And, you know, did you know that in, this, in our passage that I just read, this title is used three times? If you look back in verse 9, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. This is the, the same Lord, the, the same word that we see in Christ's title. It's the same Lord who took on flesh and was born to ordinary but real people. It's the same Lord that was laid in a feeding trough. And, you know, as soon as the angels give the angel gives this message which is the gospel that a child has been born a savior which is Christ the lord the the heavens explode and in verse 13 we say and we see and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising god and saying glory to god in the highest and on earth peace goodwill toward men why is the heavenly host praising Because of verse 11, because there is a Savior who is Christ the Lord who has been born to us. This birth of Christ confirms to us 
that God is faithful. He is a covenant-keeping God. He keeps his promises and that he is also attentive to the heart cries of his people. When we pray, when we cry out to him, he hears us. And the manger and the shepherds remind us that God went low, as low as he could go to save sinners. And he is pleased and he takes pleasure in saving those who will humbly accept his offer of salvation through the gift of his son. And so maybe this morning, during this Christmas season, you're, you're like Charlie Brown. You're, you're just not feeling it. You're, you're feeling like life, maybe it's mundane um, and that it's ordinary. Or maybe you're experiencing fear right now. You're, you're experiencing fear about where you're at right now or the, the future, or you're, you're experiencing regret about the past, something that happened in the past. Or maybe you're in a place of depression because life just isn't making sense. And if this is the case in any of these cases, it could be the reason you're there, it could be, is because um, you've lost focus. Your focus is on the wrong thing, and it needs to be redirected back to the message that the angels gave to the shepherds. And the good news is, is that if that's the case, I want to encourage you to, during this season, go out into the field and hang out with the, the shepherds, realizing that that good news that was proclaimed to them is the same good news that we proclaim. It's the gospel, which is this, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto us has been born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And if, you know, if we truly grasp this truth, the truth that God made good on his promise when he sent his son, if we really can grasp that, then we need to understand that then and only then can we join with the heavenly host and proclaim glory to God in the highest and on earth goodwill toward men. Let's pray.